For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Oh, pay dirt! Pay dirt! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pay Dirt Podcast. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Matt McGloin. Penn State is 5-2 and two after one of the most shocking losses in program history, falling at home to unranked Illinois, which came in at 2-5. and five by a score of 20 to 18 in nine overtimes, the longest game in FBS history in terms of the amount of overtimes. I went to the game and I will give you guys a lot of insight as to what that was like. Matt, of course, watched it and has all of his insight. We're going to give you our best positive silver lining because i know a lot of you guys are upset and disappointed and and nervous for what the rest of the season is and i appreciate so many of you liking commenting subscribing and turning on notifications because all of that stuff comes back to us and especially the comments about yeah we can be nitpicky about this team especially in in victories but in defeat hey you know what I, I personally, I'm going to try and be as positive as possible. So we're going to dive into our personal assessment of the coaching staff, the decisions that went into having quarterback Sean Clifford play this past Saturday, Penn State's offensive performance, Penn State's defensive performance, looking ahead at the rest of the season, because it is certainly a gauntlet of the schedule. And of course, our own quarterback in-house is going to play Monday morning quarterback again for us. But in this case, he's going to evaluate 2022 commit quarterback Drew Alar. There is a lot of excitement surrounding Alar, considering what has happened lately with the quarterbacks. And of course, he was recently ranked the number one quarterback in his class. So before we get any further, we are back and better than ever because all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today or to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. In fact, you can do both. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's code B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 year. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. The Pater Podcast is presented by Bet Online, where the game starts. Just a little note in terms of housekeeping. First of all, Matt and I want to thank everybody who tuned in this past Saturday morning. We were trying to kind of tinker a little bit and see if you guys would be interested in, uh, you know, breaking down the game on a Saturday morning, getting yourselves ready for everything that was happening with the team. So we thank those of you who tuned in and listened. We just want to let you know for the remainder of the season, we are going to obviously be doing a new episode every Monday morning in reaction to the games. And we are going to be putting out a brand new episode every Friday morning. That's audio and video, especially on YouTube. So we're going to be doing this the rest of the season. So you have full reaction uh, episodes and full preview episodes 
of every game. So uh, again, that is a testament to all of you who've tuned in. So we really, really appreciate it. All right. So it's time to relive what happened this past Saturday at Beaver Stadium. Matt, hey, hey, uh, yeah, real you quick, got to real, watch it. <laughs> real, real quick. Yeah, real quick, Tom. Was that the quietest you've ever heard Beaver Stadium? You know what? It didn't get loud until yeah. the third well, quarter. Wasn't the There only, wasn't much to be excited about, right? There wasn't but much I, to be I kept, excited I kept about. turning I kept turning the TV up and it's, you know, I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I can't, I can't believe how quiet it is there right now. And uh, again, you know, there wasn't much to be excited about. What was that atmosphere like for you? You kind of just looking around. So it was, it was kind of weird because it was raining until like middle of the second quarter. So it was like cold and it was a little miserable. And then the play was miserable. So it was just the perfect storm. And yeah. to your point, the, the, the fans had nothing to cheer about. So right. I, I don't blame them whatsoever. Um, no, 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 no. It's difficult. It, yeah, it's yeah. difficult on those weather days because you can see part of the student section not there. And it's like, yeah, like these are the games people elect not to go to because it's nasty out. I understand that. The only time that the crowd really got into it was when the refs ticked them off. And that was kind of late in the third <laughs> quarter. And admittedly, the referees were not good for either side. There were plenty of penalties that initially went against Penn State. There was one drive Illinois had that they scored basically three consecutive touchdowns i think and every last one of them got called back uh for different penalties some of them credible some of them i was kind of dumbfounded by so it was a very weird atmosphere i've seen a lot of really cool things at beaver stadium i've seen a lot of really uh weird things <laughs> at beaver stadium and that was by far one of the weirdest so um i want to ask you you and I were texting before the game even started, and the news broke. I saw Brett McMurphy on social media announcing uh, that he learned Sean Clifford was going to start the game. You and I had speculated this on episode 12. What is your assessment of the decision for Sean Clifford to play uh, by Sean himself and by the coaching staff? Well, really, look, <laughs> I, 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 again, I don't know who made the decision, what went into making the decision, right? We're never going to know. That's not Sean's decision to be made. Why, Tom? Because if you're a football player, you will lie about how healthy you are because you want to play. As a starter, as a competitor, you understand the journey it took to get there. The last thing you want to do is miss a football game and say, hey, backups, go in there and play for me. Never. So that decision, I think, was... James Franklin's decision, the training staff's decision that he should play. And when the news came out that he was playing, my first thought was that they fooled everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. They, they fooled everyone. He's fine. They, mm -hmm. they played it up. You know, they, they took the two weeks. He got healthy. He must have shown something fantastic in practice in the training room. You know, he must have healed very quickly and he's going to go out there and, you know, and have a great day um, and, and play well. When I saw him playing, the first thing I thought of after the game had started was, what does this say about your backup quarterbacks? What mm. message are you sending to those quarterbacks? It says you have absolutely no trust in those guys. Like We talked about it last week, Tom. We said if he isn't 100%, he shouldn't play this game. We even said, look, is his 75% better than the backup quarterbacks? Yeah. But if you're using that argument as to why he should have played, he, he wasn't even anywhere near 75% healthy in that game. Yeah. You had it, two it, weeks. You right. had two weeks to right. figure this out. And the way it looked, it was like they, they were acting like they played Sunday and they had to play again on Thursday. 
like it was an NFL game or something like that. A very quick turnaround, Tom. And it's easy for us to sit here right now and say, oh, this is bad. This is bad. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. But I mean, it was one of the worst handled situations I've seen in a while. And it wasn't Sean Clifford's fault. I agree. And Sean, uh, watching him in the stadium, you know, again, we don't have a full medical report. We're not going to get one from James Franklin. Um, You could tell that as his body rotates to throw the ball. So, again, rotating from right to left, you could see him grabbing at his lower right back side. The the muscle pulls. Whatever is injured, it starts to pull, Tom. Yeah, I've had that injury. And there was a, a situation, I think, in the third quarter where he was rolling to his left. So you're already, you know, all twisted up physically and you're trying to square your shoulders. And he threw a pass that was fell incomplete. And he bent over in so much pain, and it was like, man, this guy just can't even rotate as a passer. So that's a problem. But then it then it really became apparent that it's like Illinois figured out by about the second quarter, Sean doesn't want to run, and Sean doesn't want to hit. At least they probably were also telling Sean, hey, don't run. We need to keep you safe. So now how does that affect the play calling for Mike Yersuch and company because one of the biggest threats of this offense is the constant threat for Sean Clifford to run. The play calling seemed yeah. a little odd on Saturday. So I had, I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast or not. We were talking about injuries, you know, over the past few weeks. XFL, I had a rib injury. Mm. I took a sack, had the ball. The ball jammed up, like, into my ribs. And, like, immediately I was like, oh, my God, I think I broke a rib or something like that. And, obviously, the pressure from the defensive lineman landing on you, everything mm-hmm. like that. But you're on the sideline. You're trying to stretch it out time. You're trying to throw, and everything is just pulling. Like, the muscle, the rib, everything's pulling, and you can't – you just can't finish your throw. And it looks like that's – if it was a rib injury, it looks like that's what he was dealing with. And before we get into the breakdown of the offense, and, you know, not even necessarily a breakdown, Tom, because – you know, there wasn't. We're going to be gentle today, guys. I mean, yeah, <laughs> everybody's <it's>, rehabbing. <laughs> it's here's what, like, here's what I go back. You know, if I'm Sean Clifford, I'm very mad. If I'm his family, I'm very mad. If I'm this Penn State football team, I'm very mad. Like he had no business playing injured, right? You just talked about it. there was a lack of mobility. He didn't want to take hits. He didn't want to run the football. And it's like you can't play football thinking about being injured or thinking about getting injured. Like you can't afford to not be out there flying around, right? It's a game where you can't think it's a reaction game. And the moment you think the moment you slow up and the moment you risk getting injured again. And now Tom, you're dealing with this topic again, multiple times in that game, we saw him get up slow, right? There's a difference between playing injured and just being incapable of playing, right? Mm-hmm. Protect your players. You know, is it on James Franklin? That I mean, I think so, yeah. Right? I don't think Sean Clifford gave Penn State the best chance to win on Saturday. James Franklin spoke after the game. He said, you know, they didn't have their, their players ready to play, right? He had two weeks to he do had two so. weeks. I know. That's the frustrating part. And that's the thing, too. Like, it's I think they took the approach of, all right, let's get through this one. Right. And and you're doing it. We all do. That's you're what, try, what I that, said. It, it's you're trying to. And it, but with a healthy backup quarterback, I think you could right. take that approach. Like, mm-hmm. let's. Mm-hmm. But 
you, like, let's just try, you know, with this quarterback, let's build a game plan around Roberson or whoever it was. Let's get through this one and hopefully we can get Sean back. But it's like you're trying to do that against Brett Belima and a guy who obviously they were in the media for what he said about his team. This guy has won 10 or more games in the Big Ten four times in his Big Ten coaching career. He has three Big Ten titles. Like, I don't care if they're struggling. You're telling me that team's not going to be ready to play? And again, going back to what he was saying about his team and his offensive line, you're telling me they weren't motivated by that? Mm -hmm. Right? What a way to change the way, you know, the Big Ten looks at you now. What a way to change your season than going and doing what Illinois did. I mean, it's it, it's, it's a frustrating situation. It, it, it is. The paranoia in my brain with uh, Brett Bielema is that he had that whole performance in front of the media and maybe that was what we refer to in the professional wrestling world as work in that he meant to do it in that everybody knew he was going to do it and he meant to do it. And it was a way it just we talked about Sean being a smokescreen. Potentially, maybe that was one big smokescreen. I don't know if it was hats off to Brett Bielema because they played about as smart of a game as you could play under the circumstances. A lot of coaches use the media to get through to their players. And right, could he uh, uh, could he have cleaned up the comments a little bit? Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. But as yeah. a player, you you want the truth as a player. You want you that was going to go your... one way or the other. He was going to yes. lose the team or he was yes. going to galvanize them. And yes. the latter. And look happened. at what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really worries you for Sean looking ahead at the rest of the season. And we'll do that a little bit later on in this episode. I don't want to jump to too many conclusions too early. So let's stick with the offensive side of the ball as a whole. Sean Clifford finishes the day 19 of 34, 165 yards and a touchdown, a QBR of 17.8 which is obviously woeful. Uh, he registered five carries technically for negative 28 yards. Those were just him getting tackled for loss multiple times. And then there's the running game. Penn State, outside of, <laughs> outside of what Sean Clifford did, had 24 carries for, let's see, let me do some quick math here, <laughs> 62 yards. I think 25 carries by conventional ball carriers for 62 years. I mean, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I'm watching you try to add up that, you know, that yeah, math yeah. in your head there. <laughs> I didn't go to school for math, but I, wow. Wow. Yeah. I and, mean, the split is also odd because it was apparent as the game was going on that the running game wasn't working. So it's like, all right, well, we have to throw the ball, which played right into what Illinois wanted. It put Sean in dangerous situations. But again, it's just kind of like, all right, do you throw your hands up and just say, we need to start running a, a Texas Tech, a Washington State, or a Mike Leach-style offense or something? Because there's no running game, period. And clearly early on, that's just what they were trying to do, was run the football, right? And it forced them into a few third and longs. And, you know, you can't live in that world and win football games. And you talk about the game plan. It, 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 obviously, look, it wasn't great, okay? It was all about protecting Sean Clifford, right? And... Looking back, Tom, I'd say what, probably by the third drive or so, you knew he wasn't himself, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the moment that I look back on it, I'm like, you know what? Something is off here. It's when he just launched that football up to, up to Dotson downfield. And thank oh. God Dotson is Dotson and went up and got it, made a great a play. But, but Sean Clifford doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't throw, he hasn't thrown footballs like that up with three Illinois defenders around. You know, I think it, you look and he's just trying to get rid of the football at times. Obviously they go back quick slant touchdown next play. Um, but that's what it became. A lot of quick throws, get the ball out of his hands, get the ball out of his hands fast, make him avoid hits, not take hits. Perfect example of that time. Red zone. 
they, Illinois brings cornerback pressure. He takes a huge hit and misses the throw to Parker Washington, which should have been an easy touchdown. He was preparing to be hit instead of delivering the ball and just taking the hit. And we saw a lot of that on Saturday. It was really difficult to watch. Uh, the offensive line uh, just was not getting the job done. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it on the last show that we did, that it was a historically bad rushing attack for Penn State. Um, I really do not believe it is the fault of the guys carrying the ball. I believe there are talented guys. John Lovett, uh, uh, John Lovett got it back in the game, which was great. Mm-hmm. Noah Kane um, was probably the most consistent guy you had all day. Um, Kevon Lee sustained an injury at one point, so you're, you're disappointed by that because it, it did look like Kevon Lee was starting to get going. So there was some positivity there. Yep. Um, I don't know what it is with this offensive line, and I, I've been giving it uh, a lot of thought over the last handful of hours and such and just in terms of, you know, I not to put something on the coaching staff, but I remember when Larry Johnson Sr. was the offensive line coach, and every single year the offensive line was outstanding. They may not have put guys in the NFL regularly, but they were a solid unit consistently and they could run the football well. And we haven't had that since Larry Johnson Sr. went to Ohio State. So it's just very frustrating. I'm curious what you think of the situation. It's, you know, too many times, Tom, like I just feel like they're jamming runs up there to jam runs up like in the middle of the field, like inside zone and stuff like that. You mentioned Lovett, he had a great run to the outside. Kevon Lee had a few nice runs outside zone, mm. but it gets to a point where you're just calling runs to call runs because you're trying to get the run game going rather than just finding quality runs and quality plays in your system. They abandoned for, for majority of the game, the, the wide receiver screen that they did so well. Right. Yes, and then they try to go to it. Half. They try to go to it late. And, and by that time, it's too late. Illinois shut it down. Right. I can't like you, you look back and like, I can't figure out if it was a bad game plan or if you were just unprepared to play. It, it felt like a little bit of both. And, and, and right, with because, Sean handcuffed, not able to use his legs, that takes away a whole element. You're right. And like, I, I think of the pass game here, like so many times, how, I mean, how many linebacker pressures did Illinois bring? Like how many mm. times did 44 Barnes just run right through the middle? And Penn State was, and this is what I'm talking about. Penn State was fine with just having a running back block him and it created issues. There was a holding call because of it. Like you got to change the protection so your running back can get out and let the old line block him. But it was just small stuff like that, that they weren't doing. You can tell Sean didn't practice a lot. And one of the things, too, I think was pretty pretty easy to see, Tom. <laughs> Everyone was looking around for someone else to make a play. Mm-hmm. Like, that that stuck out to me, I think, more than anything. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, and again, I'm trying to find bright spots. Um, and, I think, I, I wanna, and I think, Tom. I want to talk, talk about the wide receivers and, and, okay, and good. Uh, yep. receivers as a whole. It's the reason I made the comment just a few minutes ago about what if you went to kind of an air raid system. In that your quarterback's hurt, you got to get the ball out quickly in one or two seconds. Jahan Dotson is fantastic. I mean, he goes up and he does so many things. I think they continue to put him in bad situations with these deep fades in the corner of the end zone, which granted, he made uh, a name for himself last year against Ohio State by going up and just kind of catching a fade route and making a circus catch. Yes, Jahan can do that. But physically, he was not the bigger guy in most of those matchups against Illinois. Not that they have towering corners, but physically, that is a very low percentage pass to throw to a smaller receiver. Even still, Jahan had a nice game. They really were not able to get Parker Washington involved. 
I was thrilled to see Keandre Lambert-Smith get that touchdown so early because mm-hmm. it was an audible at the line of scrimmage by Sean, and it was it made you feel positive that to the point you made about the gap between Clifford and Roberson. Would Roberson have known to make that audible at the line of scrimmage because he pokes at his hip and right. gives him the signal like, hey, we're, we're going to try the slant. It's, it's cover zero across the board. There's no high safety. Easy touchdown. Keandre Lambert-Smith is going to be a real nice piece considering he's only a sophomore. I'm really excited to see what he does. And the tight ends are going to get there. Brenton Strange is just finding his groove within the passing attack. Theo Johnson would love that one uh, post pattern right over the middle back. His build reminds me of kind of Mike Gesicki from freshman year. There's a lot. Tyler Warren can do so many things. You have weapons. You're just struggling to get them the ball right now. It's... (laughs) You know, like, uh, I mean, you had the opposite when you were playing in that you didn't necessarily have the greatest fleet of receivers ever. You had some nice guys here and there. But in terms of overall, I don't think you ever had this type of embarrassment of riches. Right. Well, yeah, there's certainly no shortage of talent on that side. And, you know, uh, guys have definitely had their moments throughout this season. Right. I just. I go back to the game plan. Like we, we didn't see many deep crossing routes. We didn't see many times of him pushing the football down the field or trying to create big explosive plays in the pass game. If anything, as you mentioned, a fade route, like it was these quick hitters downfield and that goes back to it's exactly. And that goes back to him, uh, them trying to not keep him in the pocket for a long period of time. Like you mentioned Roberson and this is, this might be unfair to say Tom, but that third and five early in overtime, Sean scrambles, couldn't get it. They had to settle for three. I think a healthy Sean gets that, right? Runs for it, gets it. I think a healthy Roberson gets that. And who knows, maybe, maybe that changes the game. That's But that's unfair to say, you know, but it's just like it, you can't help but think of that, right? Like in moments like that, in crucial situations, crucial moments, if your quarterback wasn't injured, you know, would the outcome be different? And, it, again, it's easy to sit here and say that, and I'm, I don't want to, you know, continue – to go down that road, but it was just, you could, you can't, you can't help but think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and listen, you and I said, Sean Clifford at 75% still feels better than, uh, the uh, take Roberson at a hundred percent. And on paper, I think a lot of people agreed with us. And I think every Penn state fan felt this was going to be real, real easy going into this Saturday against Illinois. So everybody is shocked. We're going to touch on the defensive performance uh, here in a second. We're also going to look ahead at the remainder of the season for Penn State. And as well, we're going to get Matt's evaluation of quarterback commit uh, Drew Alar in just a moment. But before that, uh, we want to take this opportunity to let you know that all of us involved in the Pater podcast are proud supporters of THON, also known as the Penn State Dance Marathon. THON is a year-long effort dedicated to raising funds and awareness for its sole beneficiary, Four Diamonds at Penn State Health Children's Hospital. THON is the largest student-run philanthropy in the world, committed to enhancing the lives of children and families impacted by childhood cancer. Four Diamonds picks up where insurance leaves off to relieve financial stress and provide emotional support so that no family ever has to see a medical bill. Since 1973, THON has raised over $190 million in the fight against childhood cancer. To learn more about THON or to donate, visit THON.org. That's T-H-O-N dot O-R-G. It's all for the kids. Make a difference in the life of a child today. And on another personal note, we want to take this opportunity to put a spotlight on mental health with a new initiative called Tag Me In. 
Tag me in is simply asking for people to tag in on the conversation and help strip away the stigma around mental health. Whether you're looking to lend support, you want to talk, you want to share, maybe you need some help. We invite you to join in on the conversation. We encourage you to make a video if you'd like, post it on your social media channels, and use hashtag TagMeIn and hashtag TagMeInUnited. At the very least, we want to hear from you. TagMeInUnited is a proud partner and supporter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also known as NAMI. If you'd like to show your support, you can purchase a TagMeIn t-shirt right now at ProWrestlingTees.com slash TagMeInUnited. And the proceeds will be gifted to NAMI this Saturday, October 30th. The link to this is provided in the description of this podcast. You are not alone. Tag me in. Visit tagmeinunited.com to learn more. All right, let's talk about the Penn State defensive effort against Illinois. First of all, credit to the Fighting Illini because they knew exactly what they had to do to potentially win this game. Um, Art Sitkowski only attempted 19 passes. He had eight completions for 38 yards and an interception. Art Sitkowski, my heart went out to him because I believe he broke his arm. I don't know exactly what the diagnosis is. Uh, We're recording this Sunday morning. I don't know if it's come out yet, but the way he landed in that overtime period, his hand and his arm were perfectly extended outright. And the way he was grabbing at it, it sure looked like he broke his arm. They were covering up his arm as if it was something really bad. So credit to Sitkowski because he's a tough guy. Not the best day for him statistically, but obviously did enough for the team. And then Brandon Peters came in in one of the many overtimes. Running the ball, Illinois, 67 carries, 357 yards, only one touchdown and a long of 28. My God, when you run the ball that many times, naturally you are going to rack up a significant amount of yardage. That's inevitable. Look at Army, Navy, teams that do that consistently. But Goodness gracious, Penn State. I mean, I think the what was the worst defensive effort this year? I think it was like Auburn and also Ball State and Wisconsin are probably the worst ones you have thus far. This one made those look like a cakewalk. What happened? Yeah, I was wowed a few times. I really was. And look, they certainly made plays, right? Brandon Smith had a few big hits, made some good plays. The Abiketti made a few good plays. Certainly that secondary did a great job tackling Tariq Castro Fields. Had a few mm-hmm. pass breakups. Joey Porter played solid. Jaquan Brisker, you know, had a pretty good day, you know. Uh, but, Tom, by the second drive, I was saying I would give the ball to Chase Brown every play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they McCray, did. Like, also can, excellent game. Yeah. Continue to do it until they can stop you. And they couldn't do it. Right. And, you know, I, I think here's what I think Penn State fans need to understand. If Illinois and again, this is nothing against, obviously, you know, Art Sitkowski and Brandon Peters did what they had to do to win the football game. But if they had decent quarterback play Saturday afternoon, this game never gets to overtime. Penn State might lose by two scores in four quarters of play. You know, clearly the loss of Mustafer hurt them a lot worse than I, I think we thought it was going to. Yeah. I mean, they got they got bullied. That D-line got bullied. Tom, you know, and I'll start here because you got to point it out. They, they converted four quarterback sneaks. Mm-hmm. From 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 like third and two, yes, yeah, like two yards. Much the build of Spencer Petrus from Iowa it was exactly the same game plan that the, you know, the Hawkeyes did. But, but what I'm saying, why I'm pointing it out, is like I never even thought of sneaking it two yards. Okay, one yard, 
Yeah. A yard half and a half? <laughs> half a yard? One yard, a yard and a half, half a yard? Yeah, maybe, but third and a long two? Come on now. They did it four times. And by the time you, you correct it, what does Sitowski do? He checks the outside zone for the first down. And it's just like, I'm like, I'm like come on. Like I'm, I was sitting there looking at it on the TV, and they bunched everybody in the middle to prevent the sneak, and I'm going, just run outside zone. He checks. They go outside zone, and it was a great job by him, but I mean, I thought, you know, there there was definitely some some gap issues, right? I think Tangelo and uh, uh, Kaziah got lost a few times. Tar, uh, Tarbert and Nebuchadnezzar got washed down, couldn't hold the edge, or got kicked way too far outside at times. It was one of those games, Tom, and they don't come around that often. Everyone in the stadium knew they couldn't th- throw the football. They were mm-hmm. going to run it, and you still couldn't do anything about it. Brett Bielema's game plan was very old school, and it worked. It was essentially the ace-back type of old school mentality. Everything was under center. You had nine guys on on the line, and boy, did they blow Penn State off the ball. The concerning thing for me is when you look at the statistics, three of the top five tacklers for Penn State are defensive backs. Tig Brown had 13. Joey Porter Jr. had nine. Brisker had eight. Ellis Brooks, he was fantastic, making a lot of tackles. He was very busy, 11 tackles overall. And then Arnold Arnold Ebichetti had 10. And the list kind of goes on from there. And it's really concerning when you're looking at statistics like that, when first-level guys largely are not doing much at all, in that it was falling on third-level guys. That's really alarming. It's one thing when a corner is trying to play the edge on a, on a run that gets bounced to the outside. So you understand for Tariq Castro Fields or Joey Porter Jr. to step up and make a handful of tackles in those situations. But for it to be that often, for safeties to have to come up and mm-hmm. make a ton of tackles, how many times does we see Jaquan Brisker and Tig Brown have to step up five yards to try and prevent a guy from bursting 20 yards down the field? And now you're going, and, and like now I'm thinking ahead. Because you have Ohio State and Travion Henderson, who is arguably mm. the best running back in the Big Ten right now, you know, has got to get corrected in a hurry. And this is nothing against Illinois, because again, we've talked about that, Tom, how McCray and Chase Brown were the bright spots mm-hmm. for that Illinois offense this year. They just took full advantage of the fact that Mustafer was out. They found something early that worked and give them credit because they stuck to it. And a lot of coaches, coordinators, like, if something's working, 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 it's like, all right, how many times is this going to work? Maybe I should go to something else. But Brett Belima has been around for too long, right? You know, they continue to do it. And it's just, I mean, it, it was, it, it was impressive. Now the, the rankings are out. Penn state did remain in the top 25, which I can honestly say I was Surprised about, but considering where they are with other teams, like that, that was just such an ugly loss. But Penn State drops to number right? 20, uh, 20, number 20. 20 in the AP poll. So, uh, depending okay. on uh, which poll you're going off of, so I might have looked at the coaches. Uh, I might, yeah, I might looked at the coaches. Yeah, they, they tend to fluctuate. ESPN yeah. has a tendency to honor the AP poll. So, uh, we'll, we'll try and do the same. So, Penn State drops from number seven to number 20. You're, you're happy that you're still ranked, but you know, it is just kind of a, a really sour taste in everybody's mouth. Looking ahead at the remainder of the season, which you kind of already did, and we're going to do a full breakdown of the Penn State Ohio Ohio State game on this Friday's episode uh, that morning. So keep an eye out for that. Ohio State runs the ball extremely well. C.J. Stroud looks like he's getting really comfortable, and obviously has plenty of weapons, a wide receiver. 
Ohio State looks like Ohio State again, and people are giving them the respect that they've earned at this point in the season. Then you get Maryland, where Maryland beat you last year, and Maryland's had a rough season thus far, but there's still a lot of talent there for Mike Loxley and company. Then you host Michigan, whose specialty is running the ball. Then you go and you uh, host Rutgers, uh, your last home game of the season. You feel like Rutgers is a winnable game, but after the Illinois game, I think there's a lot of questions. And then you end the season at Michigan State, who Walker is an outstanding running back. So uh, what's your perspective? Yeah, I mean, Rutger, I was going to say Rutgers is a running football team as well, and they're one of the better special teams. You know, it, they, they play special teams better than almost anybody, better than anybody in the Big Ten, one of the better special teams programs in the country. So it's certainly a tough road ahead, especially against the way these teams have been running the football that Penn State has to play. Talked about their schedule just started against Iowa. Um, and here we are, you know, lose to Iowa, lose to Illinois. You know, what's next? You need to figure it out. You need to figure it out in a hurry. Coaching will be tested. Game planning will be tested. Your preparation will be tested. I think, you know, for these players, it'll be interesting to see how you decide to show up Monday morning, right? Is it, is it, I don't want to go to the facility right now, or is it, all right, let's get back to the drawing board. Let's figure this out, right? We can't let this thing snowball, you know? Got it. You got to find ways to motivate yourself now, right? Stop relying on other people to get you fired up. Motivate yourself. Guys will see it. They'll get energy off of it, and you'll be able to figure something out, man. I mean, because what, what's the alternative? You continue to lose. Mm-hmm. And some of you might be wondering, okay, where's the silver lining? And and it's this for me. Against Wisconsin and against Auburn, which those feel like a lifetime ago at this point, I understand. And also in the first 20 minutes and change against Iowa, this team looked like it belonged in the top four in the country because they had ability and they had confidence across the board. Granted, so much has happened since then. Sean Clifford is clearly banged up, and now you got to wonder: Is he going to finish the game? Uh, finish the game altogether that he goes into? Is he going to finish the season? The way that this injury looks, it's going to be trouble, and you might see more of Roberson. Hell, if the passing game is all you have, VU might be a good option. But my hope is exactly what you said: an opportunity that this team gets to regroup. Is it for Ohio State and time to beat the Buckeyes at the shoe? Who knows? But you have shown at this point on tape, you took it to Wisconsin up in Madison. You beat Auburn in your house. And listen, Auburn is not the greatest SEC team this year, but that is still a very quality opponent. And you look sharp against Iowa to the point mm -hmm. that you and I and plenty of others explained away the loss to Iowa. So is this Jekyll and Hyde situation just going to continue the rest of the season? What do you think? I mean, look, this certainly, and we'll get to it in our breakdown on Friday, but this is, this is certainly going to be a very difficult game for them on Saturday against Ohio State. You almost wish they played them, you know, week one or week two. Yeah, <laughs> but because they lost to Oregon earlier on, they're, and they're just now getting into form. They're really figuring it out right now. Um, they are, you know, you could argue Ohio State or Michigan right now, who's the better team in the Big Ten. But here's going to be the issue, Tom. Every time Sean Clifford drops back, you're going to be fearful of him getting hit now. When he does get hit, you're going to be holding your breath, thinking, all right, you got to get up, man. Is he going to get up? Is he okay? You got to get up. You got to get up. Because you're playing Ohio State on Saturday, and 
this is this like this is a team you almost need to go score for score with right and we thought penn state could be that team right you talked about iowa the way they're playing at iowa they should beat iowa by two scores they probably could have put up you know if sean played that that whole game 35 right 38 40 points mm-hmm. maybe able to put up on iowa you know, and now it's you, you. You really need to put it together. Okay, how do we how do we hang on to the football, right? How do we manage the game against Ohio State? You know, it's 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 going to be tough moving forward. I, I mean, the thing I want to I want to watch for this week. I want to see how much they tell us about how healthy Sean is. Right? Will will they go there? Will they will they talk about it? Will Franklin talk about how he's progressing? Is he going to practice all week? Right, that's another thing too, because he's missing practice and he's getting limited reps again. Are we going to see the same thing on Saturday? Lot and at what happen. point? And at what? <laughs> and at what point? But no, honestly, Tom. I mean, at what point does it get to? All right. Well, look, he's not. He's just clearly not himself. Do we make the move to another quarterback right now? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a hard decision, and and I don't think we're going to learn too much about the inner workings of James Franklin's staff. I think James Franklin himself is probably taking this extremely hard because this game was an opportunity to win over recruits, and he's had those opportunities thus far this season. And now all the rumors about USC, about LSU, are going to crop back up and feel even more real for Penn State fans, um, even if they're not real for James Franklin. Personally, uh, just since I'm touching on it now, I, I feel like the university is going to stick with James Franklin. Um, you know, last season was very difficult due to COVID. There are still a lot of football left to play this season, so you want to kind of see how things go. But James Franklin appears to have the right mental approach for all this stuff. It's just a whether or not, okay, are they going to get prepared and get, and come up and show that they've got some guts for these these Big Ten games that are remaining? Well, here's the thing, too, Tommy. You mentioned like USC, LSU, these jobs. Like, if this, if you know, if they lose four or five games, whatever it may be, is he really like your USC and LSU? You're looking like, well, this guy just lost five games. Do we really want? Are we really going to bring him in now? True. And you know, uh, I think like it's it's if they go eight and four, nine and three, I think he's more likely to entertain those jobs, right? Lose to Ohio State because once again, you know, you're not in the big, you don't make the Big Ten championship game. You're not in the playoff. It's the more like you know. Do you know exactly? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So first things first. This Saturday, Penn State number twenty goes to visit number five, Ohio State. That game is at seven thirty p.m. on ABC. Uh, We will have a full breakdown of that available on our next podcast, which will be this Friday morning. So look out for that wherever you listen and watch these podcasts. But before we wrap up today, our own resident quarterback is going to break down a future Nittany Lion quarterback, class of 2022 commit. Quarterback Drew Alar out of Medina, Ohio is incoming. And because of so many questions, as we just outlined, of Sean Clifford's health, his future, might he come back for another season due to COVID eligibility? Then what's Taquan Roberson's overall ability? What's Christian Veyu's overall ability? Plenty of people are wondering, what are the pros and cons of the number one ranked quarterback recruit in Drew Alar? So, Matt, what are the pros that you see from Alar? Well, I think one of the pros is right now, if you're Drew Lar and you're looking at the Penn State quarterback situation, you feel like you can walk in and the job could be yours. 
and Penn State could potentially have a quarterback as good as Drew Alar for the next, what, three years. Like a big-time recruit. And, look, you watch him on tape, man. A few of the throws he's made, like that's – you're seeing that stuff every Saturday when you turn on college football. It's impressive. And, I'm look, I'm a tough critic, Tom, okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But this dude is as good as I've seen in a long time, right? And, again, that's not news to anybody. He's got a natural throwing motion, right? It's uh, it's one of those things you just can't teach, right? It's God given. The ability to create the way the way he does for somebody that's six five two twenty is impressive. He's equally good inside and outside the pocket, which is rare. Um, again, he, you know he throws off his back foot, you know sometimes, um, but it's because he has a big arm and he knows it. I think he needs to bring his back leg and his back hip through more when he throws the football. That'll help being more accurate. As he grows as a quarterback, um, needs to be a little more explosive with his lower body. Right, he's all upper body right now, but um, the footwork needs to needs to speed up a little bit, and it will as he grows, man. But everything when you watch him, everything is there for him to be big time and for him to be your guy in twenty twenty two, and he should be given every opportunity to be Penn State's guy. Now, here's here's my thing, Tom. Could he do it mentally? Right, the cool thing. Today is that sidearm look, no throws, which he which he does on tape, right? Yeah, that's great mm-hmm. if you can do it, right? You know, you're trying to be Patrick Mahomes, but like I think some people, something people need to understand is like the thing about Patrick is, yeah, he can do that, but he's as smart as anyone when it comes to football and playing the quarterback position, changing plays, protections, seeing coverage, preparing, right? He's not always just playing backyard football. You know, so I think that's what's going to be able to separate Jewel Lars, right? Can he make that adjustment mentally? And does he stay committed? And it's for the reasons that we were just talking about, right? For me, if I'm a big five-star recruit, which I wasn't, obviously, but I want to go to university thinking I'm going to be there for the next three, four years, or if I redshirt five years, does he want to play for James Franklin? Or does he want to play for Mike Yersich? right? You have to think if James leaves, his staff is going as well. So if you're Drew Alar, that's what you're looking at now. And it's like, unless you bring in a big-time offensive-minded head coach who can help him take his game to the next level and help him get to the league, you know, I don't – I mean – and again, this is obviously stuff down the road that you have to you have to look out for. You mentioned cons. I mean, there's just one for me right now, and it's it's developing him. Can you do it? Can Penn State develop him into what the expectations are? You look back – under the quarterbacks that have played for James Franklin. It all depends on the offensive coordinator because Franklin's not, he's not going to develop anyone, right? He doesn't do Mm -hmm. that. It's not his thing. That's what I hope these quarterbacks understand. You're not going to learn from him. It's not the way I learned from head coach Bill O'Brien in 2012. It's not the way Christian Hackenberg learned from Bill O'Brien in 2013. You're going to learn from your OC and your quarterback coach. So I think this is, and I mentioned Mike Yersich. Does he want to play for Mike Yersich? If Yersich is there long-term, awesome. But you got to remember, he's been in three different programs over the past three years. Ohio State 2019, Texas 2020, and now at Penn State, right? I mean, I like to think you're looking for stability wherever you go. And I think, you know, Mm -hmm. one thing is, we've talked about on the show, Franklin not stating publicly that he's staying at Penn State, right? He just doesn't want to address the situation. So if that's me, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's going on here? 
right? Yeah, are, you, are you going to be here? Thing, yeah, the positive thing is that Drew Lahr is on the record saying that while he has developed a good relationship with James Franklin, he also did go on to elaborate and say, I have developed a really good relationship with Mike Yurcich. That was something that he really pointed out as something he was encouraged by and frankly, kind of the things you pointed at. Yursich, his time at Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Texas, the quarterbacks that he helped produce. Um, that's got to be really, really encouraging if you are a quarterback recruit. But to your point, a lot can change. He is committed. Uh, it's just a matter of there's always the transfer portal out there. And the six-year of eligibility that is on the table for Sean Clifford, there are plenty of Penn State fans that are really hoping he takes advantage of that because there's probably still some meat on the bone, so to speak, for Sean Clifford's career at Penn State. And frankly, that could wind up being a really good situation for Drew Allar, because does he automatically walk in the door and he's better than Roberson and Veyu? We we don't know, but learning from Clifford can't hurt, right? Well, no, it can't, and especially mentally, right? Because look at the change we've seen from 2020 Sean Clifford to 2021 Sean Clifford. This kid has clearly grown when it comes to understanding the game. Uh, and seeing coverages and understanding situational football. And, you know, you, you've said it a number of times already about Drew Allar, like, we don't know. You don't know what these big recruits uh, are, are going to do when they enter big football programs, right? Is the talent going to translate? Are you going to be able to up your game and play at a high level, man? But, you know, when you watch this kid, it's hard to say no, right? It's hard to say, like, no, this kid's not going to be able to do it. I mean, this kid looks like, he will change your program from day one. We will see a lot of hype around recruits, and hopefully they live up to that hype. So we'll, we'll see what develops there with Drew Lar. So hopefully he stays healthy, and we'll see him next year in Happy Valley. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you all for joining us again. We invite you to like, comment, subscribe, and turn on notifications for all the updates regarding the Pater Podcast. We will have a brand new episode this Friday morning previewing the clash between Penn State and Ohio State on Saturday. Thank you all very much for joining us, and we'll see you Friday morning for more Pater. Oh, Pater! Pater! Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.